Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Talking in Stations. Unfortunately, Matarol is sick today, so you are stuck with that annoying git from the Alliance tournament. Uh, we have the usual panel of Assemble nerds with us today, but we are joined by special guests uh, Jin Tan from the CSM and CVA. How are you doing, buddy? Great, and a thousand greetings to everyone listening. And we are also joined by special guest Faefer of the Far East DRF block. How are you doing, Faefer? Hello. Hello. So, uh, again, plus the, orig- the initial panel, which whose names you can see listed, uh, we have a ton of stuff to talk about today, and a lot of people who can talk about not very much a ton. So we're going to get straight into it with talking about the East first, which is, of course, why we have the lovely favor here. There is a story recently about a, the Tri Keepstar that got laid down and is under and has been uh, an assault point, conflict point in New Eden. Uh, favor, do you want to give us kind of like initially just kind of the overarching story, like the blurb on the back of the book, as it were? Well, DRF and Triumvirate uh, and their helpers are in a mutual war. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, Info about that from both sides. Would you like me to go into that, or more like a current situation? Uh, just uh, go into it. Just you know, take your time to kind of express what's been going on, so people have a good idea of the flavor of the conflict. Well, it goes back uh, a lot of months in the past, uh, at the point where uh, the game was very stale, and uh, train over it uh, felt dire need for content and uh, since uh, they helped test to get their uh, place where they are now they basically lost the southern uh, content zone and uh, they tried to deploy a bit to uh, attack guardians of the galaxy but uh, they weren't uh, able to do much or like anything so They went back to their uh, lands and uh, they were very nervous because uh, there was no content and uh, they liked to read Reddit a lot and Reddit was full of uh, doom sayings about how Eve is dying, etc. And uh, I think all that compounded to pressure on uh, shy leadership, so they did something radical and they decided to break relationship with uh, the DRF. And so far, has this conflict between Tri and the DRF, has it caused any kind of meaningful pain to the DRF in terms of assets loss or ships loss, or is it more of just an ongoing conflict that both sides are kind of enjoying? Well, I think that uh, both sides are enjoying the conflict. Uh, It is a content. Um, I think that is enjoying it less because... uh, they are about to lose. Uh, there was one um, opening point of war when uh, they went uh, into diplomatic offensive to get uh, CO2 on their side, a fraternity, and uh, they tried to test. But uh, that did not work. So um, even at that moment, I think their leadership was aware that they will lose eventually. Yeah. And then what's uh, the specifics and- about this specific Keepstar? Well, uh, this Keepstar is uh, very important from several standpoints because, uh, first of all, it's called Shingwe Reichstag. So, uh, definitely, it uh, invites people to uh, siege the Reichstag. <laughs> and uh, secondly, um, 
DRF killed uh, basically uh, all the iHubs, or uh, if you want to say it, all the index in the in the region of Insmutter, so they can't economically use the region. And this Kickstarter is just a platform that uh, enables them to project over the Insmutter, and uh, their removal will be, uh, let's say, a big push for DRF, and uh, it will then not be so easy for their uh, Super Titans to operate. And they will have to be uh, logged in and patterned uh, on their Fortisar, so we will have more uh, info about their intentions. And I think from from that point on, it will be like uh, the fall of Reichstag. Of course, they may want uh, to try hard a bit, but uh, DRF is here to win the war, and uh, DRF knows how to fight wars. So. Is the, is the is the goal to remove try from that area? Yes. And can you speak a little bit about the tactics that are going on down there um, in terms of how the Keepstar is being attacked? What you guys are using? Um, are, you, are you using subcapitals? Are you using capitals? If you're using you know super capitals, in what way are you using them? Um, you know, meaning are you launching fighters from a thousand kilometers away from a Fortizar somewhere on grid? Um, how are they defending it? Yeah, well, uh, as you know, it's not easy to attack the Keepstar. You need uh, to have a certain amount of uh, people and certain amount of firepower to attack it. You need to have to be in uh, the attack position with the uh, replacements and so on. So we, uh, like everyone else, uh, online the Fortisar on their grid to uh, be able to stage. And uh, the thing with the Keepstars is that the more people you put into system, and uh, the more tight you get, and then uh, every mistake is compounded by the normal time timer of the Keepstar. So we try to uh, do this, uh, how to say, economically. Um, we are not uh, as big as uh, NCNPL or, or Goons, so we try to use... Uh, subcaps as much as possible and we keep uh, other things uh, to escalate as much as China does. Do you think so, that... Sorry. Ah, <clears throat> so like uh, we try to reinforce uh, first time their keeps are with uh, minimalistic force using fighters only uh, so called uh, trebuchet <laughs> thing uh, with the fighters uh, although we do not use uh, MGD desis, but uh, they unlocked a lot of carriers and uh, they use their defensive SS fighters, uh, which is kind of funny, you know, SS fighters defending uh, Trim Reichstag. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they were able to thwart that attack, uh, but uh, it was also for us to see what they can unlock, what they can probe. We were probing and uh, we tried second time, and uh, this time we, we brought just enough to reinforce, uh, and the second time also. So we are confident that uh, this rice stack will go down. Uh, if not uh, on Tuesday, then for sure very soon. Because. And I want to ask um, Jintan, as someone, you know, with your videos where you kind of discuss the political landscape of EVE, in terms of a, an outside perspective of someone who pays attention, how does this conflict compare to the other conflicts that are going on at the moment from kind of like an overall perspective? 
I've still been trying to figure out kind of like wh- where my perspective lies on this this specific continuation conflict because really it's just an echo of what happened in the Blue Donut War. We're still seeing that kind of turmoil in the South as people try and figure out, you know, what regions belong to who, you know, where do the sphere of influences lie and all that sort of thing, uh, especially after the death of FCON. Um, in terms of how it compares, it's definitely a lot smaller in scale than, say, the even the border skirmish in Nine Tac Four was probably bigger in terms of value on the field than this entire war with between the DRF and Tribe. But it's certainly a very bitter one. You know, neither party here has any love lost for the other half. I think Faithful can back me up there. Well, um, Trinurit use Reddit uh, post squad a lot, and uh, they will say anything to get uh, public opinion on their side or to get more recruits. However, uh, they lost uh, politically in the opening uh, moves of the war because Test did not want to uh, turn the uh, turn off on the deal, uh, turn against the deal with DRF. They stood about their agreement, and uh, that was actually uh, the war lost at that time. The rest is just, uh, how should I say, the echo of, of that fight uh, in the meta space in the the real space of uh, tranquility. Awesome. Thank you, Favor. Moving on now down further southwards, we oh, get to... Oh, oh, hold on one second. I just want to go back just a little bit here. Um, how, how many people down there uh, have been showing up for these fights on both sides? I think what I heard on Friday night is it's something about it's been in the, you know, the realm of 2,000 total. Uh, tie-dye has been manageable, meaning that it's functioning properly, even though it's a tie-dye situation. You're right, Dirk. Uh, Tida is manageable because we don't uh, put um, supers uh, and the titans and the other things into uh, onto the grid and in the system, and uh, it's almost manageable. You can load the fighters uh, in the tubes of carrier, and uh, you can relaunch them. Of course, uh, <laughs> it's it's about uh, a good measure, you know. We have uh, very good uh, theory crafters on our side, uh, both Russians like uh, Carter and uh, Manfred Sidios uh, representing US time zone. And uh, we know about how many people we should bring, be bringing. And I think we nailed uh, this correct number in order to be able to play, but not to uh, crash the system totally. Also, not not to not to extend this topic even more. But what are your thoughts on fraternity? Because they're someone I've had a real tough time trying to like get a hold of and get a grip of. How are they impacting this war? Do you think? Yeah, well, fraternity. They are looking uh, their eleventh uh, round. They they want a space to live, and uh, they were uh, given uh, initial space by Triumvirate uh, because Triumvirate needed an ally. And they have been good allies, and uh, I can say that uh, fraternity people are very uh, lovely. They don't uh, speak dirty in the local. Uh, they come and they fight. Uh, they don't blue ball much, and they are very uh, brave. They drop threats, and they have really good uh, success against uh, solar supers. And I think that everybody should uh, love them at this point and show some love, because then we will have more Chinese players coming uh, from Serenity. Although, uh, <laughs> uh, when they their numbers will start to grow, uh, 
more people will probably change the opinion because at that point they will be like everybody else going uh, Eve, and we know what that means. Awesome. But uh, for, for now, yeah. Yeah, say so thanks for coming on, Faithor. We know that you don't have a huge amount of time to stay with us, but thanks for coming on and kind of giving us the crash course at the current state of the uh, Eastern conflict. We really appreciate it. And uh, well, obviously, I love having you on whenever you have the time. So thank you. Okay. For Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thank you very much. And yeah, that that uh, that comes out Monday Monday in uh, in uh, U.S. time zone. So uh, that'll be an interesting situation out there. Ooh, U.S. So, this time. Moving further south around the map, going clockwise, we end up towards the wonderful region of Providence, uh, where myself and Jin Tan from the current panel are staged. Anyone else here staged down there at the moment? No. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we so roam there a lot. <laughs> Rome's are fun. Um, we uh, we have the continued conflict where PL is somewhat invading Providence uh, for a bit of fun, um, or for whatever reason PL have decided. Um, and then the defense mounted by Providence has been assisted by uh, Tappy Test Alliance, and also with the occasional goon third party has been coming in as well. And then you also have obviously the snuffbox dreads on standby the moment anyone steps out of line staged behind us. Um, so there was actually uh, an interesting article that came out on Imperium News. Um, I'm not sure how many days ago it was. It had an interview with yourself, Jintan, and it and it positioned the perspective of the war as everybody was expecting, including PL, to come in and kind of have the region by now. And they're kind of pushing the uh, story that Provi has been doing this amazing defense and PL are weak and not as good as they think they are. What is your perspective, Jintan, on kind of how PL and Provi have both performed? I, I remember the article you said that PL has really kicked it into gear recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, I, I don't think I'd ever try and spin the narrative of like PL is a, a worse alliance than No, CBA I'm saying that's, like that's that. what the article pushed, not what, what you pushed. Ah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I say in there, I think the reason why PL hasn't taken much more of our stuff right now is because it's not beneficial to their kind of current goal, which is getting as many fights as possible so that they can burn us out. You know, that seems to be the overriding uh, MO for PL right now. Yeah, so, it, you know, we're, we're, doing, we're, we're doing well. It's not like we haven't had our victories, but to say that we're uncompromisingly winning or that PL is falling at the first hurdle would be kind of stupid. Yeah, one thing I've noticed just kind of as a, a line member of Pandemic Legion is that we're kind of having these really cool small skirmish over Intosis timers that I'm personally quite enjoying. Um, um, but then also the citadels, you know, the engineering complexes, uh, structures like that are forming kind of the bigger fights where you see the MJD Ravens or you see uh, the capitals come out. So you've got this nice difference in scale and in types of conflict even with these same groups attacking and obviously when the timers get bigger and bigger that's when nc dot tends to show up a bit more that's when test kind of preps a bit more when you know various groups kind of see the big timers coming up they uh bring the third parties in kind of how have you been enjoying the kind of the different scale and what bit do you most enjoy getting involved with uh i think the thing that i found the most fun is actually like getting to deploy capitals on mass with uh, with Provi, like that's something we've not done for a fairly long time because Provi's always struggled with it. We need someone to kind of like force us to use them. We saw this in the Tri invasion. Like if if I just ping for a carrier fleet, we're not at war. I'm going to get like ten people. 
if people feel like it's to defend their homes, you know. Last weekend we had a hundred people in our cap fleet. They weren't all in caps, but you know, that's a damn good start for us. Yeah, and I think so I'm really enjoying that. Had PL moved their entire super capital force down uh, from the north, then obviously this would be somewhat different with a super capital umbrella underway. But as things the fight, would, now, the fight would already be over. Like yeah. if PL brings their super fleet down, that's that's game. Like they've already brought in a couple of supers. Um, I they were gate camping at uh, one of uh, Provi's gates with an avatar earlier today. Oh my remember. god! Like you know, as much you know, we're never gonna be able to on our own kind of compete with that level of super firepower that's just not where we're at at this point in the game i don't think we'll ever get there to be perfectly honest unless we have a massive change of culture i mean one of the things you mentioned is that um kind of a lot of the fcs are coming online and you're training a bunch of new people and people in your group are becoming more martial focused as you mentioned your capital group has been going fleet participation is going really well in terms of your predictions for the long term of this conflict, uh, are you still of the opinion that it's kind of a foregone conclusion and Providence will eventually be evicted in that game? Or is this now a thing where it might be a stalemate or it might progress so slowly that there may be a larger conflict that PL have to go deal with and then Providence gets left behind? What, what do you think the potential end games are here for this conflict? Um, it really depends on like how the political shakeup uh, the, sorry, the political aspects of the game really play out. Like, right now, we're relying pretty heavily, if I'm honest, on tests. And I kind of talk about that in the interview. Where I'm like, you know, we, we need test supers and caps, because otherwise we can't ever, we can't out-escalate PL, and we just lose. Because if if we bring the same amount of caps to the field as PL does, PL's probably going to win that fight. That's just a matter of course. Um, You know, if tests gets busy somewhere else or they suddenly stop liking us or you know goons invade them or anything like that that's you know that's just going to be a fair that's going to be fairly bad for us but other than that I, I don't think the the end point of the conflict is as clear as it was in the past but it generally just depends on what you see victory as if you think victory is winning a bunch of fights then PL's probably going to win long term because they've already gotten a lot of fights that they've won what is the relationship between Provi and Tappy at the moment? Obviously, they've come and helped you guys out, but obviously there's a ton of excrement posting on Reddit to do with, ah, they're not supporting each other, or wait, they're best friends now, or ah, Tester's a secret goon ploy. Like, what is the actual truth of the Provi-Tappy relationship? Uh, Tess just doesn't like really want PL to kill us, so they're willing to help kill PL. I don't think there's anything more deep than that. Like, you know... We will send some dudes to help out Test when we can, and they'll send dudes to help us when they can. It's just a matter of, are we doing other shit? Yeah. What are the other Test conflicts that Provi have been sending dudes to help out with at the moment? Uh, mostly just other PL poking like structures up there. That's really quietened down though recently. That or they've stopped sending me the timers, one of the two. <laughs> Our US time zone is also um, one of the weaker... Uh, one of the weaker aspects of the the alliance. So, with test setting a lot of their stuff for US time zone, it really hampers our ability to help each other because we're predominantly EU focused. Yeah, now I would love to kind of talk about this for a long time because it's actually something I've been involved with. Not and not only because of that, but it's it's been a really fun conflict um, in kind of testing lots of different aspects of citadel warfare and intercess warfare without 
putting 6,000 dudes into a single system so the servers kind of creak and groan under the strain as we saw up in 9-tech-4. However, I'm going to the timer later today, just really, um, really quick. I can neither confirm nor deny PL's commitment or uncommitment to any given timer in any particular <laughs> Well, we're going to be there. I'll see you there, mate. <laughs> see you there, buddy. Right, uh, we do have to move further. Now, I believe technically on the map that Wormhole Space is in the far southeast, if I remember correctly, like in terms of what the map actually looks like. But we have our wonderful uh, Wormhole uh, correspondent, Kaskora, who's been waiting patiently to talk about um, all of the JSpace goodness. Uh, it came out that, um, I believe it's January of 2018, is the most active month in Wormhole Space since all the way back in 2015. So, Kaskora, do you want to give us kind of like a, a brief overview of what's been going on in wormholes in January and possibly kind of the lead up politically and, and activity wise throughout the last year and what's caused this month to be so crazy, whether it's kind of just like a peak point of like suddenly everything that had been building has come together at once and now it's going to quiet and down again, or whether this is going to be the new normal in wormhole space and just more and more people are flooding into play spaceships there. Well, I'd like to think that it's hopefully going to be the new norm, um, but with wormholes, we don't exactly have these kind of like massive um, activity points that kind of kick off big things. It's more kind of like a slow, inherent kind of gradual burn. But um, January is usually wormholes most active month to begin with. And we've just been seeing there's a lot of really big groups in wormholes right now, and they're all really active. And so it's just creating a lot of activity. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. My dog is going crazy. We're we're even line <laughs> players. We're used to having like FCs be co FC'd by dogs and stuff. What's famous? He agrees with me. He's he's yeah. very adamantly agreeing about all of this activity in wormholes. But um, but you know the the big dip at in 2015 happened uh back in the day because of the jump mass changes. That was like one of the big catalysts for kind of some activity falling off. Was that people used to be able to jump through a wormhole and no matter what ship you were in, you'd landed zero on the other side. And they changed it. So now the bigger ships will land farther off of the wormhole. And that caused a lot of the people that would bear or crab in the high-class wormholes because they would close off all the connections to stay safe by throwing capitals through them and jumping back and collapsing the hole. But they couldn't really do that anymore because now there's a safety concern. So a lot of groups ended up kind of dialing down their bearing activity, which in the end gave less targets for the PVPers to attack. And it kind of drifted down a little bit. But now with citadels and refineries and everything like that, and especially with the new mining changes and the new um, Moongoo additions to wormhole space, I'm hoping that this is more just entry points for wormholes for people who might not have tried them out before. One thing uh, I wanted to ask uh, somebody wormhole knowledgeable for a time, so I'm going to take advantage while we have you here, um, is that obviously we saw in 9TAC4 kind of big keepstar battles with the 6,000 dudes in system. Now, uh, structure warfare and wormhole space is obviously going to be very, very different. And, and a lot of the changes and the fixes being posed, such as not having carriers tethered um, while, and then be able to throw out fighters is... Uh, something that's been coming up uh, for K-Space. So in, in J-Space, what is the meta, as it were, for the larger scale, bigger groups taking down each other's larger structures? Kind of what kind of ships, what kind of doctrines, what kind of tactics are we looking at? Well, we actually have had a Keepstar bash in Wormholes. There, there, are, there were a total of four Keepstars in Wormhole space, and one of them is no more. And the real way that that happened is... Um, it was a very long siege process, um, but 
basically what happened is people from Hard Knocks and Laser Hawks, which are the two main aggressing groups, they just would find connections to that wormhole and throw capital ships in and log them out. Because you can only fit three capitals through a high-class wormhole before it collapses due to mass. So they would bring in three, log them out, then find a new connection, bring in three more, log them out. And at the time, once they got enough force, they were able to really overpower whoever was living there, which was inner hell was the corp that, that lost the wormhole or lost the Keepstar. And so by the time they hit, they had like 150 capitals seated in and the defenders didn't know this because they didn't see him logging in and didn't have a defense fleet big enough to support them. And once your fleet is big enough and you're in a wormhole, if you can lock all the exits down, then that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And then, um, one of these stats that came out is that C2 class wormholes have the most number of kills and C5 class wormholes had the highest value of ISK going on down there. Um, what is, so, uh, so to my knowledge, kind of C1 through 4 is considered low class, so maybe C1 through 3, and then C4, C5 and above are high class in inverted comma wormholes. Um, what is the kind of flavor of C1 through C6 that, you know, maybe K-space say case spacers should think of when thinking about um, kind of the class of wormholes and kind of how does that feed into why C2 has the highest number of kills compared to the most value of kills in C5? Well, so you say low class and high class. I made a, a big silly meme in my first talk at E-Vegas by saying that C4s were middle class space. And I still, you know, I have to kind of support the that. Vanishing middle class <laughs> of modern EVE Online. But, um, but basically, the way that um, the different classes work is that C1, 2, and 3 all have case-based statics. And so for those who are like really not familiar with wormholes, every wormhole will always have a connection to some type of space. So that way you can never be completely locked into a wormhole. So the lower class wormholes, 1, 2, 3, all have guaranteed case-based connections. And C4 has two statics, but they both go to wormhole space. And C5 and 6 only have one, but it also is guaranteed to be wormhole space. Now, the reason they call it high class space is that five and six can fit capitals through their connections, whereas um, one, two, three, and four cannot. The biggest class of ship you could fit is a battleship, and those actually wouldn't even fit into C1 space either. So when this breaks down, most people who live in wormhole space tend to favor the high class holes with a collection of us like myself being in C4s. And there's some that live in C2s as well for ease of um, case-based connections. But the the big PVPers, for the most part, live in five space because then they can roll into other five wormhole groups and have those big fights that we like so much. But so those that's where the higher ISK value comes in. People in C5s can fit capitals through. They fly more blingy T3 cruisers and they have big fights that lose a lot of ISK. But C2 space have a 50% chance, I believe, of having a high sec connection is their static. So you have groups like Wingspan or other roaming groups that all they do is just scan down wormholes in K-space, jump in and gank whatever's in there. And because they have that high sec connection and they have a second static that leads upwards into wormhole space, they're a big transportation kind of logistics hub. So then you get people moving through them really frequently, and that results in a lot of ganks and small skirmishes and battles to to kill whoever's moving around in the wormholes. 
I, and CCUs I, are also just a good entry point system. They're where a lot of people start into wormholes. So there's just a lot of people in them too, though maybe not very expensive stuff. It's also a matter of where the value is. Go ahead, Ashwathy. Yeah, it's a matter of where the value is, right? So uh, one of the keys about wormholes is that all wormholes are null sec. So that means that all, null, uh, all wormholes have really good PI ha and, and uh, other resources like that. And additionally, C1 through C3 also have uh, null sec exploration sites in them, which is really good money. So basically, uh, we lost you, buddy. income, it's there for them in those low C and uh, probably is going to be less competitive for them. Meanwhile, in the higher C, you're looking for people who are, uh, you know, actually running the anomalies and the capital escalations and all that stuff. So you're seeing heavier equipment, more money being tossed around. And, uh, and therefore more expensive explosions. We have a bunch of people in chat being very, very angry at us. It may be at calling all wormholes null sex space, which is probably one of the most offensive things you could say. Kaskora might be able to confirm or deny. Um, what do you think, Kaskora? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, well, it's all null security. It's, I mean, regardless no, of what, whether, what you want to think saying. about it, it's all negative one true sec. And no, therefore, that affects the... Uh, that the is the accurate part. But we are not null seckers in that kind of sense. But yes, every, you know, wormhole space have really good resources for the most part. And C the C123s do have good access to make ISK for smaller groups or for solo people. And that's great. But I mean, the real ISK is in five and six space because the combat anomalies are able to be run pretty much solo. You know, have the drifters in there as well. And that's really where the big money is. Also, the gas mining. I mean, gas mining is a huge asset for ISK. And you don't get the good ISK in the low classes. So um, it's really, you know, it really just depends. I mean, we started in a C2 and we got, got a lot of good use out of it while we grew and then we moved up. And it's really just kind of what you make of it. And that's what I like about wormholes. You can really do whatever you want in it. And there's lots of potential for all kinds of stuff in there. But it's nice that we're getting more people, especially with Citadel's passes were such a pain in the ass. So now that we have a little bit more security with um, assets and we have more potential with refining and we can package ships better and all kinds of stuff, it's just been a lot better. And I'm really hoping that we're going to, that this trend of um, higher activity is continuing on. But I do want to just give a, a quick call out, though. The graphs that have been kind of showing on the screen are from uh, Izuki Z. He's the CEO of uh, the Dark Space Initiative, or TDSIN, uh, with Scary Wormhole People. Uh, he did a podcast called Game of Holes on Friday that went like a super deep dive into these stats, um, breaking down like the big battles that happen month by month, which are big for us. Maybe not big, they're not nearly as big as like the scale of Nullsec. But there's a lot of activity going on, and I, I really hope that that's going to continue on. And then if you were to stare into your crystal wormhole ball, what are you kind of expecting to see in the future in terms of combat? Are there any specific conflicts or political pieces we should be looking for? Uh, how do you think the moon mining be allowed into wormholes? Like, kind of, What is your personal prediction for what you think uh, the future of wormholes is going to look out over the next couple of months through the rest of 2018, both kind of on a political scale and on a, what the ecosystem is going to look like? Now, wormhole politics, that is a complicated ball of wax right there. Um, That's a great <laughs> saying. A complicated ball of wax. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting kind of mix because, you know, the, the big groups in wormholes, basically, like we are big because of our ability to PDP. And so 
then it's it, it, it complicates things because we only have one system each pretty much. I mean, people have crab holes and bear holes that are off for people to just kind of make solo money in, but we really all have one home system. And that's the one that we all really care about. So we're not looking to expand in that way. We're not looking to gain territory or any of that kind of stuff. We're in wormholes and we are successful in wormholes by our ability to fight other wormholers. And so that leads to a whole level of competition that is has a different kind of um, you know, wavelength than a lot of other parts of EVE. But there definitely are politics and groups butt heads. The biggest um, one right now that we're starting to kind of see up again is that um, back in the day of wormholes, the Russians were pretty much all allied for a while, and they took out a lot of C6 space. They killed all the big entities in there. And we're starting to see the Russian groups kind of coming back and working together again. And that could lead to a lot of big conflicts in the high class space. So it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of filters out because all the big groups are probably going to get involved at some point. So we'll have to see how I'll be, I'll be very interested to see how it shakes down, but more people to kill and more fights is always a good thing in wormholes. So I, I have a question. Uh, can you speak to what sort of influence the shattered wormholes are having on the overall wormhole lifestyle? Um, honestly, not much. <laughs> uh, they're they're great to find a lot of connections. Every shattered wormhole is always going to have a ton of sites, a ton of connections, and that's good for logistic purposes. But it's always just kind of like a oh hey, there's a shattered hole. Cool, what can we do with it? And then it kind of goes away. Same same with frigate holes. I mean, frigate holes are also one of the things that was added in the same expansion. And there's some that are frigate only. You can only get into them by way of frigates, and that's cool for like some low, um, lower skill point guys to make some money. And that's nice. And they can be a transport way, but, um, it's really not do, it really didn't do much to change anything in wormhole space as far as like way of life. I was always curious because it seemed like a way of, uh, granting access to ice products to wormholers without leaving their space. But it sounds to me like it hasn't really been as successful for that as it should have been. Yeah. I mean, we did do, we have done some ice mining, but pretty much there's so many other ways to make ISK in wormholes that it's easier and more time saving to just import the ice. <laughs> Cause it's not, I mean, once you're in a frigate hole, you have to, you can only take frigates in there. So you can't haul out large quantities and it's just kind of logistically annoying. I mean, it's nice. It was a nice addition. Some people who are industrialists, I'm sure use it a lot more, but for a big group like mine, we, it's just not really worth it. Now, there was a question from the audience. Carthage Chief was uh, asking, are all the C6 holes still owned or controlled by Hard Knocks? Um, not just Hard Knocks. They do own a lot, but other entities have C6 Hard Knocks well. and Laser Hawks? <laughs> There's other groups, too. I think um, Shuckle Squad's another pretty big group, and they've got some C6s. Some people have, like, solo C6s just for whatever. I mean, you can make a lot of ISK in C6s, so some people will set them up as bear holes. But no one really lives in C6s. They're all just basically ways to make ISK. And so who owns them is almost kind of unconsequential at this point, though the Russians traditionally always set up in C6 space. And so I think that that could lead to some more conflict in, in C6s again. It used to be everyone lived in C6 space. That was like the old glory days of wormholes. But um, why not live in C6 space? Someone's asking, well... Part of part of the thing with with C sixes is that 
there's very few of them. There's only like 120 or something C6s where there's like three to 500 of each other class of wormhole. So when people all lived in C6 space, they could reliably connect to other C6s much more easily than if you lived in C5 space because the chances of rolling in were so much smaller with, with less C6s the chance. But it also means you can get evicted more easily because people can roll into your hole and seat in a big fleet very easily too. Isn't it also just guaranteed? Okay, so uh, does any of the rest of the panel have any wormhole questions before we move on to the next of our many, many topics? I'll go ahead and do a little shout out. Ixzuki, the the guy that did my uh, all the stats and everything for this, he's running for CSM. So get some wormhole represent in the CSM. They're always good. Just throwing that out there. Well, you know, I, I was going to ask two questions there. Number one, do you have a link to that uh, podcast that got recorded? Um, and I believe that he yes. also runs that podcast. Um, and then if you can throw that out into into the uh, Twitch chat, I know somebody out there was asking for it. Um, and then, okay, so he's running for that. Do we know if do we know if Noob Man is running? How does the wormhole community feel about Noob Man's representation of of the wormhole side of the equation on the CSM? Um, Newman is not running again. Uh, I think that pretty much everybody at Wormholes has been pretty, if very happy with him in uh, his time as a CSM. I know, I know him personally quite quite well, and he has put a lot of time and effort into his role as a CSM, and he's done a good job. For at least I think so, a really good job of uh, making sure that our concerns are heard, and that we get a place at the table in those big discussions. Um, the person that's kind of replacing him as far as who's running in that area is Fodes Latro. Um, I know, also know him personally very well, and he's also a great guy, and I think he's going to do a great job too. My, uh, If we can get two Wormhole CSM members, that would be, I would love that so much. Ixuki and Fodes are both great candidates, and I like them both a lot. I'd love to see them both make it to the CSM. Are, are Wormholers think- like able to organize enough to be able to, uh, I, I don't know about this, not are they able to organize enough because I think that I think that they have shown that in the past probably better than anybody outside of Nullsec. But um, um, do we have enough people to get them both in? Well, like- are, they, <laughs> are, are they organized? Do you think again this year to be able to say, look, if we want representation, we are going to have to organize. We can't just be throwing up multiple names and splitting votes. Well, I mean, you can vote for multiple people, which is nice. So I yeah. think every wormholder is going to be voting for both. Um, I would hope so. Um, both of the both of those candidates are in high class space. Um, you know, Fotis's hard knocks, Mitsuki's um, scary wormhole people. Both of them are well respected in the wormhole community. Um, they both go to a lot of the meetups, so a lot of people have met them in real life. They're both great guys. Um, I would be happy with either, and I would love it if both would win. And I hope I hope that everybody in the wormhole community would vote for both of them too. Um, and maybe, you know, since they have been to those meetups, and Ixuki's done the FanFest wormhole presentation for the last like four years in a row or something. So they're both pretty visible. I think they're both great candidates and I would love to see them both win. And I hope that we all have enough support to back them up. I know I'm going to be doing what I can to spread their names as evidenced here. <laughs> Awesome. I think what we need to do is have uh, Matteral set up like a full wormhole talking stations regular thing where every however many weeks we have like just a bunch of different people wormhole space because this is all super interesting stuff and really, really hard to penetrate um, despite it being such kind of a big political sphere that we hear about. So a lot of like we need it. We need a Jin Tan and Astrothy of wormhole space. 
that just make videos and podcasts and content about wormhole space that, that the rest of us can approach understanding still and if we, i know anything about you apparently you just love penetrating spheres that's all you're about <laughs> i mean it's all about it doesn't even have to be a sphere just 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 objects just yeah anyway well, part, of, part of why i'm here and like well, I I also do the wormhole talk at Vegas every year now. I've done it for two years in a row, and I hope to do it again this year. Is just to kind of spread the word about wormholes. I mean, we're a really fun part of this game. I I mean, I've been in wormholes for four years. It's actually my eve birthday as of Friday. Four years in the game, and I've been in wormholes for almost that entire time. I joined with like two million SP. And Spreading the I would good have word it, of Bob. Exactly. I mean, I would have it no other way. I love it. And I just hope that, you know, we're a small group, but we're all very active. We're all very committed and devoted to this game. And so I hope that just by being here on a weekly basis, I can just kind of open up this whole world of the game to everyone else so they can see just, you know, a little window into our lifestyle and how much we enjoy it. And we can talk about Eve together, you know? Yeah, don't stop talking about it because we're obviously interested in hearing it. Yeah, the only reason I'm cutting you off is because we are like not even halfway through the notes and we're two thirds of the way through the show. Um, oh, of course. So I can talk about wormholes all day. <laughs> the next thing to move on to is the Assault Frigate uh, Heavy Assault Cruiser balancing path that's coming through. Um, my kind of initial read of it is that a lot of the Assault Frigate stuff looks like they've been trying out different things with different holes, trying to balance them around, moving slots around, changing guns around, like all that kind of stuff. For example, we know that one of the Mimitar Assault Frigates, I forget which one because I'm an idiot, is actually changing to missiles. Um, I don't think we've had an official dev blog on it yet but they're out on Jaguar sissy World. um sorry there's a post on the forums Jaguar. oh yeah uh there's a post about the module but have we had one on the specifics of the hulls yes a couple i believe yeah. we have oh, i've i entirely missed that i'll have to read that but okay. then um my my surface reading is that um did they include any hack changes in that? Because what I've been hearing from people is basically that the assault frigates look like they're getting a lot of interesting changes. They've been thought about well, and hacks are kind of still hacks as they are, but with the assault damage control. Is well, that I'm, roughly accurate? I'm pulling it up right now, um, so I'll I be able to correct it. it. But in backstage, that would be really helpful. Awesome. My 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 take of it when I read it was more like the blog was like, "Hey, just to remind you guys." These are the uh, these are the damage controls that we're coming out with, and this is how they work. And along with that, here's a couple of the changes that we're looking to do alongside that with the assault ships. I did not get the impression that the list of changes that were made was a complete list. Okay, so yeah. basically, basically, what has been announced and what is going to be coming out is an assault frigate rebalance. Okay, along with this assault damage control. The only way that hacks come into that is that they will be able to use the assault damage control. But this is mainly focused on assault frigates, that all of them are getting certain buffs like 18% uh, max velocity increase, 10% uh, mass reduction, and a 30% increase to capacitor capacity. There are then also some changes to three other particular ships. The Ishkur, the Retribution, and the Jaguar. The Jaguar was the one that you were referencing was moving from guns to missiles. Yeah, I now also... actually do remember reading this. Um, he does finish with that's all for now, implying that this may expand and continue to the other assault frigates, hopefully the hacks in terms of specific rebalances and touch-ups and tweaks. Um, obviously not all ships need the extreme treatment of switching from projectiles to missiles, but hopefully we'll get just some little tweaks across the board, both on assault frigates and um, heavy assault cruisers. Though obviously in the February balance update, it says assault frigates and assault damage controls and does not specify heavy assault cruisers. 
Correct. It, it feels less that there isn't going to be uh, hack changes and more just we haven't gotten that particular blog yet. Yeah, it might be that they might even do AFs first and then as the next pass after that in weeks or months, then the hack changes will come through depending on how much time CCP Rise can uh, fit into his schedule. It's sl slightly alluding to Jintan's it's, recent article. It's not, I'm, I'm not touching it. I've already had fucking Reddit call me literally retarded because I suggested that maybe they ha CCP has considerations about why they might do things related to balance Madness. that you aren't aware of. Like, uh, if you try to rush too much, you can make mistakes on that stuff too. So if he needs the time to do it right, let him have the time. Yeah, it'd be nice if uh, members of CC, uh, like CCP's management would do that, potentially. But I mean, you know, look, just because we were getting a rebalance on Assault Frankens doesn't mean that it also required right now on hacks. We all know that hacks need it, right? Um, they continue to run that problem with with their their issue with uh tech three cruisers and things like that out there but i mean you know, for now let's just focus on the assault frigates what do you guys think uh, about these changes in terms of in terms of basically making them faster um and then we can get into individual individual ships that are being changed but overall do these do these changes like you know increases to velocity and capacitor um help them out coupled with the assault damage control yeah, so I, I mean, the thing I'd say about that is that assault frigates and heavy assault cruisers are a class of ship that fall, because they haven't been touched for so long, that fall into kind of a weird space in terms of how you fit them, in that there are many ships in EVE Online that you can just throw whatever modules the hell you want on them, and you have all the fitting. So, for example, if you look at the, the Cerberus, especially if you're doing rapid light fits, you can basically put whatever the hell you want on the rest of it, and you're good, you're fine, you're happy. The same way with the old Cinnable before that was rebalanced, you could kind of just throw big, large guns and double LSE and not need any fitting mods. And I think that the problem with a lot of heavy assault cruisers and the assault frigates is that because they were designed so long ago that their requirements on cap, the requirements on CPU, the requirements on power grid, kind of were still in a place where you balanced around that and certain ships couldn't do certain things. Like, for example, if you want to fit um, 250mm rails on a Deimos, that's that's about all you're going to do with it unless unless you have you know a, a whole bunch of fitting mods. Um, in terms of how they fit into the meta, we haven't seen hacks really in quite a long time, though largely because they were... Um, kind of outperformed by the Tech 3 Cruisers, which recently got a nerf, kind of the most recent uh, hack stuff going on. Uh, we can't even remember, kind of Zealots used to be a thing a while ago, and kind of in small roaming gans, Ishtars Serbs. famously. Serbs are still a thing, but I hate them, personally. Serbs are just kind of like, I hate double optimal bonuses on any ships. But then in the Assault Frigate space, Harpy Fleet was a very big thing for a very long time, and I assume still at least before the rebalance, is a thing that can be done, but kind of like jackdaws have kind of taken over to some extent in that role. Uh, Jin, as you know, another kind of nullsec FC, well, definitely much more nullsec FC than I am, um, kind of what, how have the hacks and AFs fitted into kind of your considerations, your meta building on the larger alliance scale? And after you, if Ashtarothi, if I can ask you about how it fits into the faction warfare, which is typically a much smaller scale of combat. Uh, in the terms of like large scale, Theory crafting hacks are pretty much useless right now. Like you can use the SERP, but the Loki is actually I found to be quite a decent counter for it. 
Um, I know Merck's been having some great success with that. Uh, the Serb's actually kind of one of our workhorses right now in terms of small gang telos. I've been using them a lot against um, Hired Neverus, um, which I think is the interesting part. Like, so much of war of warfare now isn't about these pitch battles. It's about the little skirmishy fights that happen between them. The, I, I feel like when we talk about Nosek doctrines now, we're kind of ignoring that part of the game, which is equally integral to how Nosek functions right now. Yeah. As far as faction warfare goes, um, I think I, I, I'm not really going to talk too much about the hack situation for a couple of reasons. One, because we haven't gotten all the details yet. Um, but more importantly, Hacks are T2 cruisers, T2 cruisers, uh, so then they only are really applicable in mediums, and you just don't really see it that much. But assault uh, assault frigates are actually kind of interesting. Um, hold on. So what ends up happening there is... Uh, hold on. Am I cutting out? Not, Not yet. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm back. So uh, the assault frigates uh, end up becoming what I... Uh, kind of like bunker busters, right? So if somebody's inside of a plex... The biggest problem is that they have this really good advantage. They can be at their optimal. They, they know you're coming in and all that stuff. So this really good tank for a short period of time, I can see that being used as like, well, there's a bunch of destroyers inside of a small. We've got a few um, uh, assault frigates. Let's go in there and try to bust it up. Um, so I think that it will create kind of some change in the dynamics of smalls a bit. Um, and I really think that that's where CCP is hoping to leverage the advantage of some of these things the most. Uh, Kaskora, what are your thoughts on the changes how assault frigates will affect uh, wormhole space? You mentioned that the frigate-only wormholes aren't really so much of a thing, where assault frigates might have had a good use. Like, uh, is this going to add any considerations into doctrines or flying spaceships there, or like, like what's the deal with AFs and hacks in wormhole space? Well, with assault frigates, I mean, there might be some use. We actually all pretty much have to have a small mass doctrine in our in our collection for when we run into vertical collapse holes or we do have the, like we have to get somewhere and the only way to get there is through a frigate hole. Um, we all tend to use the T3 destroyers for that right now. That's pretty much our bread and butter. So I'm not sure. We'll have to see. I mean, you know, people I'm sure will do some doctrine testing and see if it works out, but I'm not sure there'll be enough of a force multiplier to compete with the T3 destroyer meta that's so prevalent in wormholes right now. As far as hacks, we haven't seen a lot of hacks and wormholes in a really, really long time. Like since back in the day when Ishtars were super overpowered. Um, T3 cruisers are our standard go-to for our heavy fights. Um, the hacks are great for people with lower skill points if they don't have enough to really do T3s. But I'm not, I don't know. We'll have to see. There, there, there were some old doctrines that maybe people would try to revitalize and see if those can be relevant again. But our styles of doctrines are so focused on cruisers and command ships right now that I'm not sure I'm not sure if hacks will find a place. They might for smaller groups, small lower SP groups, but for the big um, top PVPers, I'm not sure we'll see much from them. It'll be interesting to see though. Cool. So um, there sorry Astrothy, go ahead. I, I just wanted to chime back chime back in uh, and say that the one place that I think that we actually might end up with a bit of a problem potentially is sniper harpies. And the reason why is because we're still using them. They're very effective right now for what we need when it comes to like countering corms and other destroyers in 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 uh, plexus and whatnot. And the advantages that they're getting, extra speed, this burst tank, etc., is basically exactly what they need to do their job better. 
and uh, they already do their job pretty good. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on them to make sure that these changes don't push them too far off the edge. It, it may be the case that in the further tweaks that Harpies even get down-tuned in order to balance for that, one might hope. If that would be really... That'd be really unfortunate, though, because like the sniper harpy style is an incredibly useful tool and a really good uh, in like the give and take balance nature of like deciding how we're going to fight in plexus, for example. Um, you know, it's, it's important to that sniper counter, which causes which is important when people like go 100 off and just kind of monitor yeah, you or try I, to pick people off. I, I don't mean in terms of nerf bat them into the ground, just that if they anticipate the bonuses of the velocity of the cap the new damage control coming in pushing harpies as they're already in a pretty good place into so much a higher place that they can you know maybe cut a little off maybe they shave off a few bits here and there so they still do the same thing they just aren't quite as incredibly powerful and, and get pushed into that crazy zone if Correct. you see what i mean right my, then, well my, my problem is is that when it comes to these uh armor things uh the the damage controls in particular when you're looking at sniper doctrines it even becomes more effective right because you can pop that damage control and just go away it's not like a brawling situation where you're committed and all that sort of stuff um these damage controls can really be the difference between what you know living or dying yeah so um McLaren actually brings up an interesting point that I hadn't thought of, is that if you have, say, uh, an ASB Hawk, for example, you run your ASB out, activate your damage control whilst the ASB is reloading, try and survive through buffer for that, and then you get to ASB again. And the monster ASB is running, you let your assault damage control run down. I don't know how the timings work for that, but that's a cool idea. Anyway, one very last small point, um, because I'm hosting, I get to put this in. We're going to talk about tournament stuff. Damn it. Uh, basically, how this is going to work in um, tourney stuff is. Uh, in terms of hacks, kind of met personally, I am assuming that the assault damage control is just going to be a not allowed module in the tournament. Um, the main issue with uh, assault frigates and tackle stuff is that historically, um, tick three destroyers have done that job, but better because defensive mode, what have you. But currently, depending on what the new points are, they're two points less. So assault frigates might come back in as something that can push away from the group, tackle a kiter, hold it down for longer. Because one of the big things in tournament play is especially at the beginning match, you might bum rush the opposing logistics to hold it down with something so your big ships can apply damage to it. Um, the assault damage control basically gives that ability to not just get volleyed by, you know, three, two orthroses and a Serb as the anti-tackle. So instead, if this does exist in tournament space, I'm expecting the war of tackle to become a lot more difficult and much more reliant on uh, E-War, both in terms of damps, jams, and screening by tackling the tackle away, than um, just knowing that you can blow up an Enyo when it's out of rep range in X amount of time before it scram webs your logistics cruiser. But don't you expect them to uh, exclude that uh, damage control from tournament play? Yeah. Why? I Why would oh, no, I don't think so at all. I think that given the smaller number of, of uh, you know, the, the controlled nature of the competition means that it's very easy for you to determine a countermeasure, right? Because one jam cycle effectively removes the effectiveness of the damage control. Well, I, I, I don't think it's a guarantee that it's going to be banned. I think it is a module that is on 
the list of things you would consider banning. For example, the uh, jump generator things on Commander Store is obvious, obvious ban. I'd say that the assault damage control is something that um, you know Fozzie and Rise are going to be looking at very hard, especially if they allow it at all in the beginning they will be looking at it to absolutely make sure that it just doesn't ruin the meta and then when it comes into hacks even if hacks have this module i think that the problem with the tournament meta in general at the moment is that just battle cruisers are a amazing and b super mega cheap um so unless there are big battle cruiser changes into the points system um until next year it's gonna be a lot a lot of battle cruisers again which are going to take the place of hacks is kind of your somewhat more heavy damage platform. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's the case. And, and, and you know, like in Tranquility, we see Tech Wong Battle Cruisers being kind of a big mainstay in fleet combat. In, in the same way, they are especially, especially good in tournament settings for similar reasons. Anyway, you, you that's don't probably think the time I'm allowed for tournament stuff. Here, here's my question, though: Do you think that we're going to see a strong resurgence of Mimitar Rush? Uh, no, Mini Rush loses pretty hard to BC spam. Because you think you think in spite of the extra speed, the damage controls, and everything else, the the Mimitar uh, hat can't get in there. So so like the basically the problem is, is so like the Slepnir was the king of the battle cruiser slot, right? In tournament play, just forever. It's the most amazing thing ever. But it but the Slepnir lives on its active tank. The active tank is the important thing, right? So it's it's the ASB and it's have T two semi reps going on it. The problem with battle cruisers is that they just have so much raw HP and outcut huge damage to big ranges that the battle cruisers are just kind of beating sleps in that they have enough damage to really pressure the tank early on and kind of just kind of destroy that part of the meta. And also they can just kind of shoot and kill logistics from the start if they want to. So that active tank, relying on an active tank, is much less powerful having T2 resist than just slapping a huge wad of EHP on the field and going, fine, you can spend a minute killing this ship whilst I have enough DPS and enough range to kill the rest of your team if you go for high resist tank rather than high HP tank. Um, That's a very large oversimplification, but it's kind of the reason. I think it's pretty safe to say that Apothne is addicted to the tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's roll like, off the tournament. Yes, Carnors, please tell us about that. I, <laughs> well, hold on one second. I, I just want to sum up this whole I thing. Tried, I tried. I tried. Dirk, stop me. No, 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 no. I, I'm not going into you know the 12 people who play in the Alliance tournament. I, I, I'm talking about Assault Frigates, which have been a constant redheaded stepchild even before T3Ds, and then were made even worse being left behind do we think anything here has changed whether or not people are going to use tech three uh, tech three destroyers and switch over to and switch over to assault frigates and 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 then on what scale i mean is it big fleet stuff uh you know solo guys out there are are assault frigates now going to be better because of this change and make you have to choose to not use peoples we'll leave it at that question people (laughs) will test it sorry yeah try it out the meta has not yet determined. Maybe if you want to see more balance in the game, you should go and, you know, show that after ships are rebalanced, people take a look at them and try and use them in space. That might incentivize CCP to do more balance. Well, I, I'm trying I'm trying to ask the people here who know something about, you know, little tiny ships. So like, you know, you or uh, Apophony. Oh, I mean, I'm going to have do, like, do you think I'm this changes Hela- anything? Like, I'm, I'm like going to use them in solo PvP, but like I don't know if they'll actually be any good. 
Yeah, we need a Suetonia on for that kind of thing. But still, we I... move on. Carnaros, tell us about Thank the you. January MER. Okay, so uh, the new monthly economic report just came out this week for January. Uh, I love how it comes out so quickly. Uh, it's, it's great fun. I'm I'm not an industrialist, uh, but I always look first for certain things when the new report comes out. Like a lot of people, I go look first at the mining value by region to see how Delve is doing compared to everyone else. It's it's always good for a giggle. And due to um, deployment and uh, military activities out in the direction of, say, Fountain and Cloud Ring and the border there, um, mining dropped in, in Delve. I know I told my guys, hey, don't undock in Auroraquil unless you know what what the hell you're doing and you're prepared because there's no data squad there to protect you when they're all deployed. Anyway, so um, total mining by region. And Maestro McLeod, could I trouble you to put uh, something up on visuals? Um, we didn't quite break 10 bill for the month of January Trill. in uh, in Delve mining. Trill, sorry. Billion, trillion, yes, I know. Yeah, didn't quite bill, break uh, 10 trill, which I would consider a small dip. It was a 30%. It was a 30% fall off from the month before, but it looks like everyone else seems a little low too. Right, Dirk. Yeah. I mean, out of the 19 null sec regions that I happen to track, um, I think it was 13 out of 13 out of those 19, uh, which were from all over. So it wasn't just centered on any, on any surrounding area around Delve or cloud ring or anything like that. We're all down double-digit percentages in 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 January. The biggest one, of course, was Delve, where where they had other things going on. They had hunters down there, and they had defense fleets that were not in the area. Um, but you know, you had double-digit dips across across a lot of different regions out there, including most of the big regions, uh, big regions in trade in terms of mining. The only one that was noticeably up, okay, that is also a more than one trillion a month. Uh, uh, mining region was uh was branch branch uh they continued to uh they continued to chug right along is any of that guts uh do you gut check here any of those other regions that went down even if they're far away would you uh would you ascribe that to being alts of people who did move over to the battle zone in the cloud ring area no you think it was other things I don't know. Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah, I really don't know. I don't have insight into why Cobalt Edge was down sixteen percent, or why, um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, well, I know why Aquarius was. Why Calavala, ex, you know, Expanse was down fifteen percent this month. One of the things that will be interesting statistics-wise, in terms of seeing whether or not these changes are meaningful, is if we, if if you look at the track of how the MAR changes over a year two year, three years with monthly data points, you can then start to see what normal variance is month to month and what real variance is due to specific events. Um, and then you kind of have to track that in with political changes and groups moving. But from a statistician's point of view, um, the more data points, more consistently of the same data you have, the better. And your information only improves the longer you have that information coming in. After the mining uh, regions, and sometimes I'll look too at the industrial production uh, and trade and kind of compare Delve and Jita. 
But the next, the, the most important slide on the group, in my opinion, is much farther down if you're scrolling down on the page right now. And it's the slide called money supply. This is probably um, EverQuest bias <laughs> um, floating into my perception here. But I go and look at the money supply uh, graph because I want to see how bad that angle is going toward the upper right. In an ideal world, it would be fairly flat, uh, in, in my opinion, close to flat. And if you go look at, um, at uh, the January report, it looks remarkably flat. Yes. It, well, yeah, and it would be. I mean, you, you basically ended the month flat. In fact, it was down, uh, down one point five trillion ISK overall, which is which is the aggregate, right, of a five percent increase in total faucets, a negative one point three percent decrease in in total sinks. All right, but then forty trillion ISK came out of the money supply due to activist delta. Now, activist delta, all right, takes into account. Um, um, basically the last 30 days of, of inactivity. So if you, if your character was inactive for the last 30 days, as of the time that they took their snapshot, right? Um, they're not included in the money supply. All right. Um, if they were, then they are, but it, it, it seems there's, there's word out there. I think noisy posted something at one point that it looks like there may have been a bot ban or something along those lines. Now, if accounts get banned, they're, they're, the money that's on those accounts also comes out of the money supply and is part of that activist delta. So, so you know, negative 40 trillion basically offset the difference between sinks and faucets to make total money supply basically break even for the month. And, and the reason we worry about the reason we worry about the money supply growing too fast is because it, um, it can be a sign of or contributor towards what we call in the industry mudflation. Where uh, on MMOs, you know, uh, the value of the money starts to go down and the prices go up, and um, it, it can start a bad economic cycle that is difficult to live with years down the road. It, it's kind of hard to look at money supply, at, you know, at, at this point. Again, that activist delta um, is is so up and down, you know, nowadays uh, based on the new way that they're calculating it because of you know, the introduction of alphas and, and, um, you know, free, you know, free accounts, right. You know, they're going based on that activity metric. Um, but when you look at, when you look at just on a month to month basis, the net difference between faucets and sinks, the amount of money being the amount of isk being generated into the game is always up. You're always looking at something in the realm of, uh, sinks as a percent uh, sinks as a percentage of faucets being somewhere in the 60 to 65 percent range so there's always a net increase in isk coming into the game money supply though is going to be all isk that's out there that they happen to be counting based on activity of character you know the character with the particular wallet yeah i mean um in terms of uh kind of asking, in terms of kind of what you said about kind of you wanting to see that line be flat why specifically is it do you want that line to be flat like what's the thought behind that for people like me who don't know big economy game systems as well as you know perhaps you do in your line of work well the, i i watch what has happened to the everquest economy over the years and it's a little bit older than this game and a little bit more awkward and doesn't have 
quite as many tools. Uh, I mean, you guys think of CCP of Eve Online as being old. There are older ones, and uh, and the economies on the older games are are worse. Uh, Eve has a remarkable economy for how old this game is, and uh, I. Uh, I wish I had some of the levers in EverQuest to adjust the uh, the money supply growth. I, I'm not saying bring it down, but I would adjust the growth to to be less aggressive if I could, uh, and that would give us more options for how to add additional content to the game. Uh, it's too too much money flowing in uh makes the players become jaded by the amount that they earn from doing tasks and you have to pump it up to get their attention and yeah it's it causes a cycle that gets more and more difficult to to build around to balance around well i mean you've got the combination of money that's flowing in right as well as the resources that go into building things also flowing in the balance between those is is in in a lot of ways what's going to determine whether or not all that money flowing in, which you would think would have an effect on inflation, is indeed having an effect on inflation, right? And I don't think that in EVE, we ever really see, you know, really big high inflation sort of across the board. We may see inflation in various areas where CCP has made changes and has sort of changed the underlying equation of, of you know, so like in the case of, uh, of, you know, Tech 2 items, right? Because of the moon changes and everything, right? Tech 2 is just more expensive now. So I'm going to throw out a prediction for the February monthly economic report. Mining will be up. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll hit 10 trillion again. I, I mean, I don't see there might be a, a, this could change if we, if we end up doing a deployment or uh, I, I know of a few little things going on at the corporation level or the SIG level or this and that. Um, uh, but I don't know of anything big at the coalition level that uh, so who knows it, uh, that's gonna have a big effect well massive thank you to uh jintan and Faefer for guesting this week as always thank you for the panel for showing up we all hope matro feels better we must talk about an upcoming eve meet that is going to be happening on the 10th of february it is the london eve meet uh, which is run now by event used to be called the old veto meet it is the longest standing running uh, player meet sorry thank you ashtarothi as well i forget because i'm just so used to seeing you on podcasts you are a guest and you are wonderful and we love having you here as I'm we love every having everyone here you are always um, here always we want your internet connection to be fixed so you can be on more shows more often again. I, at the very least, miss you dearly. So, yes, we have the v old Vito meet, now even T meet, same place as always in London this Saturday. I think there's a Facebook group that will be posted around all around the place. Um, so, definitely go to that. I usually try and go, unfortunately, this year is falling exactly on my father's 62nd birthday. So, I'll be spending the day with him instead. Um, so, so, young. Happy birthday to him for a week. Um, and yeah, so any other meets? I don't know. Does anybody know about any Eve meets we should be talking about? Well, the the one in my area, San Diego monthly one. We're we're still having a discussion about whether to have it this month or not. So yeah, sorry. Awesome. For those of you considering going to FanFest and not sure whether you not you'd have a good time, but you can have the financials available. I 
absolutely advocate for sorting it there, getting your tickets sorted, getting your places sorted. Absolutely go to FanFest. It's going to be amazing. Um, That is going on in April, but it is worth mentioning now because people need to set their stuff up soon. Uh, Let's go into final shout-outs. Does anybody have any shout-outs they want to give anything they want to mention before we call this a podcast? I still have my meetup coming. It's not until the end of May, but it's there. So put it on your radar, everybody. Is that holders only or is everyone welcome? Everyone is welcome. It's called the Eve Retreat. Someone just linked a, a link to it there. But it's happening in the Midwest. So for all the people who can't make it to the coast in the U.S., it'll be held there. Um, everyone's welcome. We already have quite a few null suckers coming. It's not going to be just wormholers. So don't worry. We're not going to scare you off. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'll be putting it on and organizing it. So um, yeah, y'all should come. It'll be great. Just make sure you don't invite Pro God Legend. He might get lost in the meetup. <laughs> I mean, so it is just, you know, it is in like Missouri, kind of off the beaten path, but it is a, uh, they are, it is a resort. They have luxury cabins. It's actually pretty cheap. Can't beat the money. You know, everything's cheap in Missouri. You can't beat it. So it'll be a, a good, a good time. Is there an organized day trip to Branson to see Dolly Parton? <laughs> I don't know about Dolly Parton. We can go see the <laughs> Liverpool legend Be- Beatles imposters, though. I think they're, they're supposed to be a big hit down there. Uh, Dirk, Carnos, any final points before we wrap this thing up? Uh, Here's I, to matter all feeling better. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Um, uh, look, if you are interested in what Suetonia had to say about assault frigates, go check out uh, Friday Night's Open Comms, where we had him on, and he was talking about assault frigates. Cool. Astrothy, something you wanted to say? Yeah, I was going to say that before the show started, we were talking about how there's a lot of uh, major alliances that are celebrating birthdays and other major milestones. Uh, Federation Uprising is uh, celebrating our first birthday next month. So my shout out is to all of the large organizations that spend so much time and effort to create such great content for everybody in EVE. Our four year anniversary as a corp is also happening this month. It's very exciting. PL hit a decade last year, uh, which was pretty darn cool. So yeah, final thank you to McLeod for running the stream. As always, he does a fantastic job and makes us look like an actual proper real show, which uh, considering it's just a bunch of Eve nerds talking about stuff, that's a fairly large achievement. Uh, And we also have a thank you to Abvit85 for subscribers and also a massive thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Do check in. We discussed before the show that you are going to get some certain privileges and special things coming to you shortly that Masteral can tell you about. Um, So yeah, thank you all for watching. And this is it for this week's Talking Stations. We will see you same time, same place next Saturday, where hopefully you won't have the tourney git talking anymore. We'll be back to the lovable matter all.